the thing that you need to think about in developing your process is start with the customer and work through it because you need to make it easy for your customer. Returns is starting to be uh, a, a competitive advantage for companies who do it well. So you want to be transparent, you want it to be easy, and you want the information available when the customer needs it. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. What comes to mind when you think of RMA? Well, for me, I always feel that I have a fundamental right to return any product I so please. However, if you think about the people and businesses that have to enable processes such as store, credit, refund, sending the shipping labels, and getting the merchandise repaired, you might no longer feel like returning a product. Each of these processes could be so involved that it might require its own ERP system for each area. Also, RMA processes would have an impact on your profitability. And most issues with RMA can be traced back to engineering or production. So what are the best practices for RMA processes? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss RMA best practices. We discussed the nuances and best practices of RMA processes and how they might vary in different industries. Finally, we discuss the overlap and boundaries of RMA processes across systems and functions. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you join for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. For today, we are going to be talking about RMA. And a lot of people are going to think that, you know what, can RMA be a topic? But today we are going to learn that how complex and nuanced it could get. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris, let's see for his intro. We have a Chris problem today. <laughs> Actually, Cristiano. So look at Cristiano, so you get the okay. full name today. Hi, I'm Chris Caradini, CEO and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 28-year Microsoft Dynamics partner. <clears throat> Been implementing Dynamics ERP for a long time, and uh, RMAs is a great process. I always think about RTVs next to RMAs, but we'll see if that creeps into the conversation today. Glad to be here. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Uh, now, Christina, can I move to you next for your intro? I think I'm going to be using full first names. <laughs> hey, full name today. It would be like my mother. Uh, sure. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Chris Harrington, Gen Alpha Technologies. I'm the president and COO over there. And we are a company, a SaaS company that helps original equipment manufacturers and aftermarket organizations with their digital transformation. And really what that means is we help them sell their products online. Typically they start with their parts and then they expand from there. And riddled in the parts in selling of parts is also the return of parts when it's necessary. So happy to be here. Thanks, Sam. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Uh, Jay, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, Jay Schneider, uh, B2B Squared. Uh, we work with distributors and manufacturers on e-commerce and uh, digital transformation, uh, digital product data, things like that. Uh, so uh, to, to Chris's point, uh, obviously, 
selling things via e-commerce site will uh, certainly necessitate returns as well. And so uh, look forward to uh, bringing at least some perspective from the e-commerce side. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Jay. And uh, if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys send your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. And uh, if you cannot get to them uh, because of time, then uh, our panelists are going to make sure that you receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Cristiano. And that is going to be, okay, when we talk about RMA, what the hell is RMA, first of all? Uh, and then, uh, you know, if you could provide any sort of story overall from the process flow perspective, how the process goes, uh, you know, from the different touch points, uh, different systems. Chris, do you want to start? Sure. Sounds great. Thanks, Sam. So RMA, I actually wrote down return material authorization. I'm thinking, is it material? It's merchandise, right? So it should be a little more agnostic, actually, yeah. in today's context. But back in the day, right, RMA, but what is that? So I'm, I'm trying to return something. And it, and it gets interesting is what am I trying to return? And where did it come from, right? Where who did I buy it from? Who who is there a warranty? But I think about the reasons that you might want to return something. It's broken. It never received. Um, you never got it. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, that's broken. It gets hot, right? Maybe it kind of works. It gets hot. Wrong product. Uh, you know, field repair. And so lots of sources are returns for credit, returns for new product. 911, I need the replacement yesterday. Is it under warranty? Who's warranty? The seller, the vendor, the distributor, the, the manufacturer. So a lot of complexities. And, and I think, you know, and you think about shipping and where am I shipping it? And am I shipping anything? And how do I, you know, do I issue a, but the process, again, an RMA, RMA number, you know, we go back to the, the philosophy. The only thing that hits my dock is something that has a PO number or an RMA number, right? I scan it. Okay. There's, that's the receiving process. But as we, we start at the beginning and the e-com folks will chime in is what do, what do I do to do a return? Amazon, right. Did I ever get it? Just some of those choices I rattled through. Um, is it perishable? Do you want to even ship it back? It was dead on arrival. Okay. Just throw it away. We'll send you a new one um, or send you money. So a lot of a lot of paths on just that front end. And how do you get authorization to get that number or that shipping label to put on your product and send it back? But then the complexities on the backside of the process. Great. It's in route. Where's it going? It was a drop ship, which means I'm the guy that sold it to you, but I bought it from somebody and he shipped it to you. So you're shipping it to him. So on the backside, do you need a replacement? What'd you ask for? Credit. So you think about all the paths where you're shipping it back to this guy who's my dropship distributor. And that creates a very complex accounts payable process because typically unlike a PO that you receive and then you three-way match, these dropships are crazy. And when you start dealing with the credits and the debits, right? Did he get a new one? Was it under warranty? So that's one example, but I have a, a story for Sam. It's a dropship distributor in case, and they were 100%, almost 100% dropship. And the complexity of that, when you're doing thousands of transactions a day, um, and you've got five or 6% returns, which maybe that's a good st statistic. You guys might chime in, Chris and Jay, but uh, but the, the the volume of the entries and now, oh, wait, 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 I paid with a credit card. So, wow, how do I get you your money or the new product and, and, and all those complexities? And if you think about automation, and that was one word I wrote down here is you really have to focus on automation. If you're doing volume. In the old days, somebody called, hey, I need to return this. Did you buy it from us? Okay. Online today, there's a lot of that checking. Did you buy it? Was the invoice matching? Some of that's happening. But again, I'm an ERP guy. So a lot of this backside complexities and accounts payables and sales. And is it a cross ship versus I got to wait for yours? And what happens when I do get yours versus the drop ship? It showed at my dock. They have this process called dispositioning, right? They sent it back. Is it bad? Well, maybe they just returned it because they were overstocked. So, okay, I got to look at it. It's good. Put it back in stock. What else? It's broken. It's under warranty. Vendor warranty. Now I got to ship it to the vendor. There's that return to vendor I mentioned. That creates another complex process because now did you just book the credit from the vendor or do you wait for him to acknowledge that he got the broken one back and blah, blah, blah. So this can go on. I showed Sam. I have this little doodle. This is a, a process illustration that you can start on a wall and run out of wall. You make a turn and and I think everybody will chime in because if you had e-com site on one wall and we have the back end processes over here and then Again, all that fulfillment, because now you got to integrate to your shipping systems and natural integration points are to ship sales orders, not necessarily a repair transaction. So I'll stop there, Sam. I think that's a pretty good Some view of complexity. Very interesting detail there. And by the way, I mean, see great distinction between material and merchandise. And I don't know if listeners are probably going to be familiar with that. Maybe you want to clarify that a little bit in terms of what those two are, as well as 
when we look at the process from the credit card perspective, and that is probably going to be a question for everybody in the room. Because, you know, credit card is a very tricky process in general. These days, maybe your ERP systems can support the credit card processing and the B2C transactions as well. But traditionally, they didn't support the credit card transactions as much. Even today, if you look at some of the processors in the ERP world, you are not going to have everything. So that sort of create that that breakup in the process that, okay, if you actually do it in e-com, then how do you sort of refund? So I don't know, Chris, if you have any further clarification on the point about material merchandise and the, and the process as well. Sure, and I think we're getting agnostic. What am I trying to return? What am I? Am I just trying to get credit back? Just credit my credit card. You know, I didn't get it. It was bad service. There's a lot of dispute on returns and return authorizations, unlike traditionally, right? The traditional, we're buying and shipping products through the through the people that typically made it. But uh, um, but again, that the complexities, and you mentioned broken processes, and that is that is a big problem in a lot of the systems. Older systems have broken processes like that vendor credit. How does that all reconcile? How do I get a, a check on how much is on my balance sheet versus income or cost of goods? It gets real ugly. You start looking at how do I do margin analysis? What really happened? So there's there's some of those. But the credit card, the other challenge I'll throw out there is it's timing. I don't have your card and authorization number. So now think about the customer service. I got to call you or how do you do that? Because, you know, if you're processing an RMA, I'm not putting my credit card back in on the website, right? Typically don't see that. So is that an experience where, anyway, there could be complexities there as well. So Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Christina, I'm actually going to come to you. And uh, this is going to be, okay, from your perspective, how do you see the RMA process? And with any enterprise systems, I think there's, there are going to be religious debates about, okay, who is responsible for what? Okay, whether you talk about the, the organization full of people, I mean, people are sort of fighting over each other, you know, what they would try to do. The same thing happens with the system as well. So there's massive overlap between your WMS versus ERP, ERP versus e-commerce. So overall, from the uh, RMA process perspective, how do you see this flow through, let's say, if you talk about the process boundaries across the system, and how do you define the RMA process? Yeah, so some similarities, of course, to what Chris had to say in that we call it a return materials authorization process and with the customers that we work with. And and that's historically what we've uh, called it. And really what it is, is it's a request for a return. So in the world uh, that we operate in with original equipment manufacturers, large organizations, not Every product is returnable forever. Not every product is returnable forever for everybody, right? And I think the challenge uh, with any request for a return is you have two parties. You have the party that has the product that they no longer want for whatever the reason. And uh, Cristiano listed a lot of the different reasons that we would find. And then you have the manufacturer or and or vendor or who, who it might be who really doesn't want to accept a return because, you know, that costs them money. So there's just conflict inherent in this process because manufacturers want to keep that dollar volume low and customers want the ability to return their goods if something's wrong, right? So it's just a hairy process simply because of that. So as we think about the, the process in general, a lot of what where the hairy situations for us are when it is a repair good, you know, it's a good that is being returned for an exchange. So we need to do a full inspection on that exchange to understand its value before we can respond to the request with what we're willing. We might authorize the return, but what we're going to refund as part of the return isn't going to occur until an inspection occurs. So I think, again, here, what what is this process challenge for most organizations is that it's typically not a single decision maker making that return request decision. And this is why uh, it's difficult for employees in an organization, because they're typically having to pass it to maybe somebody in warranty who has to look at it from a warranty approval perspective. Maybe they're passing it to somebody in purchasing because this was a a purchase product. So inherent in the ERP system is what type of product is this? Did we manufacture it or did we buy it? And then if we bought it, what is the policy of that vendor when it comes to the return? And then to, to Cristiano's point, when we shipped it, did we did it get direct shipped 
from that vendor to our customer and maybe it was damaged in shipping. So we, the manufacturer, we never even saw it. We didn't touch it. We just facilitated the order for the customer. Those are all the processes and, and why delays can occur in the approval request to even answer the customer's question. And typically, again, they have to do all of this. You know, most customers have like a 60 day period. So you have the ability to return in 60 days for a standard product. So you're trying to accomplish things in that period. And then when the approval comes for the return, maybe you give 30 days for the return and it has to be inspected before you're willing to credit in the system so that they can be refunded the amount. So just trying to describe you know, again, these are things Cristiano mentioned very quickly. These are the things that I think inherently create the challenge and why this is such a difficult process and why for those companies that are still manually doing this on spreadsheet, that's that's when it can get very confusing yeah. because you don't have a historical, easy historical record of what's happening so that you can identify, am I getting too many returns of a single type of product? in a given period of time, because maybe there's something I need to learn about that. Maybe if in the case of an e-commerce site, maybe I have the wrong product description or I have the wrong where used or I have something uh, incorrect that needs to be corrected to reduce the number of returns for this good in the future. Maybe I have a, a, a problem with a shipping company. So I need to be able to run reports on who is shipping these things that keep getting damaged that are causing returns and it creates inefficiencies, it's frustration. Maybe the customer continues to have a unit down because this particular shipper keeps having a problem. So we may need to move away from that that shipment provider. So not only do we need to be able to efficiently handle the request for the return, but we also need to be able to review and study and analyze why these returns are occurring so we as business leaders in our organizations can stop uh, the bleeding and any any of those future returns for for products. So those are some of the things that I would add, Sam. So amazing uh, additions there. And, uh, you know, I completely agree with you about this uh, whole process being hairy. And I'm probably going to uh, provide a story here to just illustrate. And by the way, in this particular case, they were humongous company, meaning they were managing this process on systems. They were not managing it on the the spreadsheet or papers. Obviously, if they are doing that, it's going to be far more difficult. So in this particular case, these are humongous companies. So, uh, you know, I'll tell you some more pointers there overall in this story. Number one. So uh, this is the large OEM of the computer manufacturer, and they actually provide the laptops and they sell through big box retailers. So I, as the customer, bought it from the retailer, the laptop, okay, within 30 days and 30 days was the return period for them. And, uh, you know, within 30 days, I started having problem. My understanding was that I had warranty for 30 days. Okay. So after that, I started calling uh, you know, this particular retailer as well as manufacturer. And then they advise that, you know what, manufacturer is the one who's responsible for fixing your laptop because you they are the manufacturer. They understand their product. Okay. Technician comes to the home. They try to fix it, could not fix it. Okay. Yeah. So now technician has touched it. Okay. But now, so I started calling again, these guys, okay, retailer, manufacturer. Okay. Who's fixing my problem? I'm super confused. Okay. So after that, what happened is, number one, this particular retailer was not going to cover the warranty because they had roughly 30 days. But since manufacturer actually touched the product, so now the warranty is void. By the way, another problem, okay? In terms of the total time for the warranty, so typically they go by date and there is going to be a lag between the dates. So for example, the manufacturer is going to ship the uh, computer to the retailer so there is going to be a lag there when it is going to hit the shelves. So there was three months. So the original date of manufacturing, that's what they consider as part of your warranty. <laughs> and yeah. So in my case, it was already three months. And they were like, okay, before you bought, your warranty was over. So <laughs> you were not supposed to return this anyways. So yeah. I'm like, okay, did I lose my money? What happened? So this is how complex 
it gets. <laughs> yeah, we had a similar story with our with our oven uh, just this year. So we bought a brand new stove and had a very similar situation. And it was really all the delays that kept occurring because of supply chain shortages that our warranty uh, for return had, uh, you know, been up. But we still we just had received our stove and had it installed. So. But I'll give you, I was thinking of another example while you were talking. Think about a, a piece of equipment. So when you, if you, bu- if you uh, buy or you buy a piece of equipment and somebody offers you a package. So a two-year parts and service package that's going to be needed in those first two years, right? And maybe something becomes obsolete that you've purchased. And now you're way outside of that. Um, you know, you've got to go find the invoice that was for the original piece of equipment and that package that you bought with the equipment and somebody's gonna tell you, oh, you're outside of the period. Well, wait a minute, this is an obsolete part now. I don't wanna install that on my machine anymore. So, you know, these are why, again, this this process can get so complex. And, you know, a standard RMA may go very quickly. It's the unusual things that that cause uh, challenges, of course. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Jay, I'm actually going to come to you. Uh, what has been your experience overall when you look at the process and if you have any sort of stories that you might be able to share? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think you guys have hit on a lot of really great examples already and um, really talked uh, specifically about the complexity that can really go into uh, the whole RMA process. And so, yeah, I'm just going to take a little bit of a different angle and just talk more about uh, again, more from a B2B perspective, perhaps, but but really just you know talking about the e-commerce uh, site and and the B2B customer. And I think from that perspective, I, I guess one of the things that in in you know the the instances that I've been involved with you know RMAs and stuff like that. At the end of the day, you know a couple of things uh, that are that are specific to e-commerce. First of all, it's one channel, right? So we have our different channels as uh, as a company, right? And and you know, Chris Cristiano, you talked to, uh, about a bunch of them. You know, there's there's different. There's going to be different models, you know, de- depending on which channel it comes from, right? But specific to e-commerce, I think that that we you know we have seen all of the statistics about how B2B customers want self-service. To me, RMA is one of those things that that really needs to be part of the e-commerce site. Okay. Now let's talk about what that means. Okay. Because you guys have talked about the complexities uh, around the process, the different things that go into it. And and I'll be honest with you, in 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 my experience of, of going through this with a number of different types of companies in different ways, the reality is the processing of the of the processing and approval of the RMA needs to happen in the ERP. It just has to. There's just uh, in, in you know we've we've explored situations where maybe we could with a credit card or whatever, but there's just it really gets complex. So um, I think from from my perspective, I think e-commerce is a great place to have an intake form um, to start the process to assign an RMA number um, to to. Uh, to potentially get some sort of evidence, you know, of damage or, you know, of, uh, uh, of, the, of the product, you know, being spoiled or whatever it is, right? So, so you've got some way to at least take something in that can then be processed. And more importantly, from the customer's perspective, you have the ability for them to do that on the site, you know, with their account, which, which gives them the opportunity to continue in sort of this self-service mode which is what we want. And, and in the e-commerce platform, uh, oftentimes, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to establish things like, you know, was that order delivered, right? So we can't, we can't return something for an order that wasn't delivered, right? So, so we've got those checks in place. And, and again, another incentive for customers to process it through the e-commerce site or for customer service to process it through the e-commerce site. So that when that RMA does come down, it can be, it can be requisitioned at least against an order that we know was processed, shipped, and delivered. So, but after that, in my opinion, the, the really heavy lifting always occurs on the back end and has to be handled in the ERP, so. So great layers there, and I am probably going to offer one more story, okay? And this story is going to be on your comment about you cannot really return the product that was never delivered, right? So in this particular case, the company actually was okay 
in, in, in accepting the return for the product that was never delivered, okay? They were like, okay, we don't care, okay? If the customer is going to come to us, we are always going to either repair or going to return. We are never going to validate it. Whatever happened, if the customer comes, we are going to do that because the cost of sort of validating that just because, you know, their data were not really connected, there was no way for them to verify whether the customer really bought from them. And by the way, their channel was very complex. So they were, and, and Jay, I'm pretty sure you can relate with this, okay? So they were selling through buying groups, and then they had, you know, buying groups are going to have their own customer. They all are trying to sell to Amazon. You know, these guys are trying to sell to Amazon. Everybody is trying to compete with each other. So obviously it's a mess. We all know this, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, there is no way for them to verify, okay, who bought the product? So they had to simply return it. So now, Jay, I, I don't know how you feel about this process. Maybe you have some commentary there. Uh, I, I think, so. so that to me... That to me is a process that will at some point in time get refined only because uh, if you if you start extrapolating that out to the nth degree, somebody is going to say that's costing us a lot of money and we can't even verify that, you know, that who, who, who sold it or, or how it happened or whatever. So it just seems like a process that uh, that at some point in time is going to need, uh, you know, some some new system around it one way or another. So it happens. It definitely happens. Exactly, exactly. And guys, since we have a smaller group, if, if you guys have any stories that you want to chime in, just feel free, uh, you know, let's make it slightly more informal. On that note, uh, Cristiano, I'm actually going to come to you. And I am going to be asking your opinion, uh, you know, when you look at different industries. I don't know if you have seen any sort of variations in those industries related to the RMA process. That's great. You said that word. I wrote it down while I was listening to you guys talk. Industry, we haven't mentioned industry, that variability. But, you know, Chris and Jay hit some great points and you go back to add that wall of a diagram and take that section, drill down on it. And Chris's point about analytics and how do you reduce the number of returns? And again, even when you're manufacturing, you need that loop to engineering because is it a problem with engineering? Can we get a rev out there to make it different, fix it? Less problems. We're doing all these repairs, but that analytics is a great topic and you could deep dive on that to how do you crush it down? And, and so, again, as you go back to industry, absolutely. And how much does it cost in the costing analysis? It's huge because you might go back to throw it away. Why? The shipping cost is ridiculous. You know, and you might say, I don't want it back. It's cheaper to, to kill it. Here's your credit. You want to buy another one? Um, and the other thing that we haven't talked about is the customer service impact. Boy, this has got to be an easy process. And I think if you think about, you just give them the credit. In today's competitive world, customer service is a big deal. And so you go back to where do you manage the process? And Jay, you started on that. You start in e-com. And by industry, we may be living in a CRM mode. Okay, let's go back to customer service. Case management. Remember, I talked about the field service guy. He's creating a return issue as well because he's out there trying to fix something, needs a part. Do we have it in stock? How quick we get it? So the iterate, and that is a CRM process in the dynamics world where we're managing field service and customer service. But case management by industry. And again, we're selling trinkets and trash. Forget about it. This is easy. We give everybody credit. You want a new one? Buy some more. But as you get into the bigger equipment, as Chris pointed out, and now we start, hey, I need a serial. I need verification. I need proof. Jay mentioned proof, prove it. You have an invoice, what do you have? So again, by product line, by industry, heavy equipment, whole different, the warranties, the vendor warranties, the manufacturer warranties, it's complex. Service agreements, we didn't talk about, is there a service agreement? And again, how quickly do the systems resolve that you're eligible? So your service, will get you one first thing tomorrow morning because you got an SLA. We didn't even talk about SLA. So this can go rabbit hole, right? You said it. My big wall is three walls now and but seriously, as you look at the customer service experience, how do you approval, right? Is there evaluation and automation? I go back to that. More artificial intelligence is coming into decision-making on these processes. Float up the exceptions, right? Most companies are like, I can't even get people to do it right. How can I get a robot to do it? But we're getting there. Yeah, I would just come over on that one because I think it goes back to Jay's point is that customers want to self-service, right? So if they've come onto a website and they've requested the return. Now they want to be able to go back to that website and check the status of that return. Where is it? Because inherent in everything we're talking about here is workflow. There is just workflow throughout the organization on the back end. It could be certainly things are uh, integrated into the ERP. You're bringing in, uh, you know, a code, uh, which is the RMA number that becomes the track of everything that happens. 
but where it goes and who it goes to is typically not necessarily in the ERP. That's part of the workflow. When does this group get triggered? Which status code of why I'm returning it? When does it go to the warranty department? When does it go to engineering? So all of this workflow, it becomes very critical. But for the customer, the customer facing piece should be very simple. I go back in, I look at, I look up all my warrant, uh, RMA requests that are open and I see the status. How is my status changing? Have I been issued credit? Have I been given approval for this request? And now I have the packing slip that I can print to now send in the time frame required. Am I get, getting triggered an email that lets me know that my status of my RMA has changed? So that, again, for me, it's easy. I'm not having to go follow up with the manufacturer all the time to figure out what's happening. Information is being pushed to me to make my life easier in that self-service fashion. I think, of course, that's where we're heading. And to Jay's point earlier, that's what customers want today. I don't know that anybody's built that yet to that specification, right, Chris? So you think about that level of automation. We see some of that, but just so the audience understands it, you're like, can I buy all that you just said, right? Who's got that? Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of configuration we'll do it. <laughs> on the front-end e-com experience. But again, if you're pervasive in the ERPs and trying to sense all the moving pieces, you're right. And, yeah. But to automate as much of that communication is huge because customer service quotient, right? It keeps getting better and better. People yeah. just want updates, right? That's right. And I think that's part of the challenge is that everybody's process is different. Everybody's back-end system is different. Everybody's approval is different. Everybody's products are different. You know, we've talked about you know, some products, you know, like, like it's not even worth shipping back. Please just keep it, throw it in the trash, whatever. We'll send you a new one, right? Uh, other products, you know, you would want them back, you know. Uh, so because of that, I think uh, the, to Chris's point, you know, having the ability to do it in the e-commerce platform, having customers be able to uh, include that as part of their self-service and have visibility to the process is important. All the, you know, all the, the nuts and bolts and the, you know, the, the, uh, the real movement is going to occur in the ERP and, and behind the scenes. So. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting layers there. So Chris and Cristiano, I guess, you had mentioned one more layer there, CRM. And CRM is always going to be a very interesting layer there as well. So obviously we have the e-com and then we have the ERP. Two systems and our problems, but now we have the third system, okay? And maybe fourth. Uh, who knows? Uh, so how have you seen this whole process end off in your experience when you look at the different industries overall from the process boundary perspective? We'll take everybody's opinion on that. Uh, we'll start with Cristiano. So, yeah. So the example where I where I start in a CRM world before it gets to ERP is really it's it's how does that request for a repair or a replacement come in? And typically it's in equipment, field equipment type of industries. And it's typically going to be a field service related. But so they can call in and say, hey, can I get a remote Remote assist, right? Can you help me diagnose what's wrong with it? Meaning nobody's on site and we're trying to remote assist and diagnose and maybe we're using technology to do that. And then they're normally generating a requisitions for a parts order as a replacement. And what, if somebody's going to send an installation guy out there to replace it. There's an example of a CRM-based process. Now, is it integrating with, with ERP? Yes, but that those different experiences are built out more in a customer service case management model. And the other piece of that is now I got a field guy. They scheduled, somebody goes out there, and, and that's the specific example. Now, in the industry, do you have e-com transactions that based on a threshold? Guess what? They go to CRM for a case, a, a customer service person to manage versus it's 20 bucks. It flows right in. It's a new sales order, pick back, ship out the door, hands off, nobody touches that. So I think you gate, you can track your transactions, but... Again, based on industry, the customer experience you're trying to deliver, there's a spot in there for case management and customer service in a CRM type platform. So, okay, amazing. Thank you so much Chris, for that. So, Chris, what's been your experience? Let's say if you are talking about four different systems, uh, who 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 wins out of four? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because you know most of the customers we're working with, they don't have all these systems down, talking to each other in the fashion that we're all trying to help uncover here as a, a future state so solving this problem. But I think what's most important in a CRM is that the salesperson is alerted that, that the customer had an issue. 
so that they're not surprised when they either go on to call on that customer or they shouldn't be learning from the customer that they've issued something. In the CRM, there should be some initial flag that indicates for them your customer is, you know, has requested these things so that if they need to go figure out more detail about that thing before they walk into the customer's office, they're not surprised by something. In our solution, as an example, if they saw in the CRM, because maybe that's the first place they go to, that, yep, uh, there are three open RMAs for my customer that I'm going to visit today. Well, if they went in, uh, they logged into the e-commerce site and they, they changed their code to the customer code, they could see all open RMAs. They could actually open the RMA. They could see the reason it was. They can see the status of that. So they would not have to call multiple people and or be surprised in front of the customer. And to me, that's how you're helping salespeople and customer service people uh, in this whole process. The, the CRM system is there to assist in having a better relationship with the customer. So as, as I would be exploring helping my customers solve this complex problem, these are the types of conversations we would have. Make it visible to everybody so that nobody's surprised, but also that salesperson doesn't have to make 15 different calls to figure out the status of the three open RMAs before he walks in to get yelled at by the customer. We don't, we want to prevent that. We want to arm people with information, more transparency. That's what everybody's looking for. And these tools allow for that. Okay. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Jay, what has been your experience if you bring CRM or field service in the fold? Yeah, I honestly, uh, I haven't been real involved in in building a CRM solution to uh, to account for RMAs and stuff like that. But I guess to Chris's point, um, you know, this kind of speaks to that holy grail of the 360 degree view of the customer that we want. You know, uh, B2B in particular, they're really trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we get sales and e-commerce working together? How does this how is this a blended and hybrid approach? And I think these are the, the types of things um, that, you know, a, a salesperson should know what orders their customer is placing uh, online. They also should know what RMAs are, are out there so that they can research them before a live visit or, or just know that they're out there in general. So. Okay, amazing insights here. So I am going to open up another question here, and that is going to be another debate that we are probably going to have. And this is going to be more for B2B, uh, you know, since we are talking a lot about B2B today. Uh, and obviously, Jay, Chris, you guys have a lot of experience in the B2B space. So in the B2B space, and, and, and Cristiano, this question is for you first, okay? So the question is going to be in the B2B commerce, and I don't know if you have seen these scenarios or not, but in the B2B commerce, you have a lot more complexity overall from the e-commerce space. For example, let's say if you talk about something like replenishment orders, uh, okay, or multiple cards, I don't know if they are going to be impacting your RMA processes. Uh, do you know by any chance or have you seen in your experience, you know, the replenishment orders? Because that is going to be slightly more subscription centric. If you really think about it, the way order lifecycle is going to work or the multiple cards, the way people can save. And I don't know if that is going to have any sort of implication on the RMA process. Uh, Cristiano, for you. Yeah, sure. And <clears throat> replenishment orders, again, if the receiving company, the, the client that's getting the shipments has a quality process, again, that doesn't matter how they're getting stocked. But if they're inspecting that product coming in the door, they could trigger an RMA return product back to the vendor. So again, is that a PO return from the customer to the vendor? I mean, it gets interesting in that context, but that's roughly what you're talking about, correct? Where they're just shipping, fulfilling and shipping to a location on a periodic basis, correct? Well, so that is going to be your internal replenishment. Okay? <laughs> so now in the larger e-commerce platforms, if you actually look at them, they also have sort of the external replenishment. And the way that works is, let's say, if you are part of your punch out or the e-commerce system, the way they are going to be replenishing these orders is in the B2B experience, each month you are ordering a bunch of parts. You know, you already know what that is, right? So they are going to be putting this on the automated schedule that, okay, this is what I am trying to replenish. And that's actually going to flow through your ERP to be able to replenish. So, so your internal MRP planning or the replenishment planning, you are still doing in, in your ERP. But when you are going to release those POs, so if those POs are going to be on a schedule, that flows through your e-commerce and e-commerce has a functionality called replenishment orders. Now, in this okay. handshake, there is going to be a return process as well. <laughs> 
So how is that RMA process handled in this process? And I'm not familiar with an e-commerce for punishment process, Sam, frankly. So I, I don't have a subject matter on that. I'm just trying to think, what's the, how does that impact your, your stocks? And again, an RMA related to that, is it, is it your concern about over-allocating or having overstock because of the return factor? So and not planning appropriately. Let's review, uh, you know, first from the e-commerce experts, you know, what they have to say, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll I'll review and we'll Thank you. Back office guy, hundred percent. Yeah, you want to go, Jay? Go ahead, uh, that's, Jay. That's fine. I'll go. I, I just I was just going to say I, I think I think replenishment is one of those things that a lot of B two B companies are still still struggling to really create a good process for. Uh, many of them in the mid market, in particular, but uh, but but you know, essentially, uh, to me, the if, if there's an order created and and it, and it happens out on the site, or if it happens via punch out, it's still part uh, you know it's still part of the e-commerce process. There should be a way for that intake to occur, you know, from the customer's perspective on the site. So hopefully, hopefully, those systems are all aligned. So that at least that information is out there, and uh, again, you can track that 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 is in fact an order that got delivered. So yeah, and I, I would only say that we don't call it replenishment. We have something called subscription ordering or reordering, right? So you're you're continually ordering on a process. Consumables yeah. are the things that are required. Those things have product numbers that are on an invoice that got delivered at a period of time, and if somebody uh, issuing a request for a return, they're going to go back, they're going to look for the product number and the invoice associated with that. And that mapping is what is going to be used to trigger the form fill for the the reason code for the return, any proof, any images, other things, any comments of why, and then that's going to be submitted. The, no matter how the order came in, it's going to have an invoice associated with it and the mapping of the product to the invoice is what's going to facilitate the return okay uh christiano any follow-up comments there based on uh, what you're right, so yeah, yeah, sure yeah, you have something i get it it's <laughs> i need toilet paper every month send me eight rolls exactly yeah right yeah, i need exactly. to return some they were damaged exactly. i got it got it in the returns but yeah chris is right about the lookups and matching back to the invoice typically that's part of the process there but how does that is that a different process again every month you're going to get a new unique invoice id for that particular shipment. So you're returning against a specific shipment typically. So, sorry, I was just, I'm thinking replenishment, like stock levels, but you're it talking about customer. Really confusing. You're right. Really, I get yeah. what you're talking about, replenishment ordering. So, yep. I don't I don't have any of that myself. I don't get toilet paper every month, so. <laughs> you don't have that problem. <laughs> okay, amazing. So now we are going to be talking about any of the best practices that you have seen from the RMA perspective. Cristiano, do you want to start? Sure. And there was one, there's a couple topics we didn't talk about. And as we talked about, you know, Chris jumped into sales reps. And again, depending on where you're at in the industry, you're dealing with small people where there's no reps involved versus bigger deals and there's reps. And if you think about best practices, let's talk about commissions. We didn't throw that out there and how all yeah. this Good. activity can compromise the accuracy of commissions. So now we go back to best practices and this is ERP centric, right? And But Chris did throw out, hey, when do they issue the credit? That's that cost, right, that's going to come back and hit. And I think then we get into complexities on timing. I'm reversing revenue. I'm reversing cost of goods. Did the product come in? Did it go back? Did I ship another one? Did I scrap one? And, again, the cost accounting gets complex. And I think, you know, again, the rabbit hole on that is, is that matching in the sequence of events. And, again, let's do the traditional where I'm not, I'm not doing e-com, but maybe I'm doing all the fulfillment out of my, out of my warehouse, and I have this advanced cross-ship. But I wait for theirs to come in. I go through the inspection process. And, and even Chris made that the prorated. It's prorated. Okay, I didn't give them full credit. That's a complexity a lot of ERP systems won't handle. They'll want to reverse the original cost on that line because you pick the invoice. That's why we match the invoice. We get the cost that was on that invoice. And typically, that keeps commissioning margins in sync so we don't really like overpay people or, or underpay them from that point. But when we prorate, there's a complexity that goes in there. So, But the best practice is, again, you really need to identify those cost points coming through as long as well as the revenue reversals. And again, the best practices is to have reconciliation views of data. So we talk about business intelligence, business intelligence that's looking at, again, we talked about return dispositions. Why are they coming back? That's a business intelligence view. That's a best practice. The other one is looking at the cost accounting and the revenue reversals on this types of transaction sets. You really need to laser focus on that from, and we're talking about sales commissioning. 
The other aspect of that is your laser focused on the AP side. Again, what's coming in from the vendors, the credits and the debits, and how well can I reconcile and match that? Did I get an equal credit and a debit? Because you're going to have original, I got a reverse, and I got another one. How do I, again, reconciliation is a big deal. So so those are some best practices that I would stress as you as you really look at these processes and say, okay, make sure you're really looking at the data. So, Okay, amazing insights there. Uh, so, Christina, uh, I think two layers there, and commission is a very, very, very interesting layer. And mm -hmm. I don't know what your recommendation is going to be because commission could get really complex, uh, you know, especially if you are going to be considering uh, the returns as part of your commission. And if you have too many returns, good, good luck with that because you might be paying too much for commission. So, okay, so either you can touch on the commission or best practices. I, I would prefer best practices. Although I have a comment for commissions. I you mean, can do both. <laughs> at the end of the day, I think, you know, salespeople are responsible for selling your product. And if something happens on the back end, is that their fault? You, you really need to think about the commission aspect of it and, and think thoroughly before you punish a, a salesperson for something that may have been out of their control. Um, so best practices. I think that you really need to establish a process and somebody needs to own it. So the return materials authorization should be owned by a single person that understands the process because at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, the CFO is going to want an explanation for why the returns were this value and this percentage of revenue. And hopefully it's low and it falls under the radar, but you need somebody who owns it. And then the, 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 the thing that you need to think about in developing your process is start with the customer and work through it because you need to make it easy for your customer. Returns is starting to be uh, a, a competitive advantage for companies who do it well. So you want to be transparent, you want it to be easy, and you want the information available when the customer needs it. And it shouldn't require multiple phone calls, emails from that customer. So map the process from the customer. You know, customer comes in and here are the, the eight different reason codes we're going to have for the reason that they return. With this reason code, where does it go? With this reason code, where does it go? With this reason, where does it go? If it's a purchase product, what is the flow and who does it go to? So it, now it might have to transfer to purchasing to have some vendor review because member vendors probably have all different return uh, processes on their end. If it's a manufactured component, we have some standard processes for these are things we manufactured, right? Once you walk through that process, make sure that you know, you've defined how it's going to be easy to get the information back, have a place. Again, I agree with Jay, it should be uh, in a digital commerce setting, you know, within the e-commerce site, it, it, if it can be made, if you have an e-commerce site, sometimes we got to start with the first phase, get an e-commerce site, and then you can have a returns process as part of it, right? Um, but then take the time to review. This best practices are that I'm not just uh, struggling with my returns. I'm understanding why returns are happening and I'm working to reduce them, uh, especially things that that we can control. So um, those are some best practices that I think of. Okay, amazing. And, uh, you know, Christina has added a very interesting layer of ownership. So now, Jay, for you, you are going to have three options. So you can do either one of them or you can do all three, okay? <laughs> so this is going to be best practices, commission, and the ownership, which is really interesting because nobody owns returns. Nobody wants to own returns. Okay. So what has been your experience overall from the ownership perspective, commission, as well as best practices? Yeah. So uh, so let me hit a couple of things in terms of best practices first. Uh, again, in the in the B2B world, uh, you know, firstly, have a process. Have a process that's online. Okay. So and and have it be transparent to Chris's point. Um, so the customers can see, yes, it was submitted. Yes, it's being processed. You know, what are the what are the steps? Because a, a lot of times there may be returns that are going to be. And again, I'm thinking about a couple of customers where you know uh, there, there's goods that are damaged. It's easy to see. You know, um, so so process it, get it over with. Um, I, I like Chris's idea of making sure that there's designated people that are that are or departments that are responsible for it. 
Uh, to me, I think customer service is a great place for some of those things uh, or in inside sales sometimes, but a lot of times I think customer service is a good place for, for those to happen because they're oftentimes engaging with these same customers uh, anyway. So, so those might be a couple of best practices there. But uh, again, I think the most important thing is to have a process online that, uh, that at least in allows uh, the customer to uh, include all the things from an intake perspective that you're going to need on the back end to actually process the, the order or the uh, the RMA. Okay, amazing insights there. So, Cristiano, do you want to touch on the ownership? I guess you didn't get a chance to touch on the ownership. So, what do you think? Who should own this? It's a, it's a back office employee. I mean, again, if you think about owning the RMA process because of the, the costing and because of some of the accounting impact that goes in there. I mean, at a higher level. Are there other worker bees that are doing inspections and doing releasing the credits or shipping the replacement parts again in that context but i think it's there's somebody in the accounting department that has to own it and I, again one of the others I, we talk about that reconciliation between in the drop ship world between vendor credits and customer credits and you got to be tight I and mean, somebody's got to make sure we're not giving the farm away meaning we're giving credits to the customer when they never ship the product back so you think about just little details but i agree someone's got to own it because it's a PL and it's a balance sheet item frankly so Okay, so uh, Cristiano, I'm actually going to start one more question there and we'll take sure. one round uh, you know, for that question. And it is going to be, let's say if you have too many returns, whose problem is that? Uh, well, then I need the analytics on why the returns. What's the reason codes? I've got to have reason codes because in the RMA system that, that we had the older version dynamics, the first thing, what's the reason code? You got it and you define them. Raga said, oh, it's overheating. Okay, is that an engineering problem? Let's get into manufacturing and fix that. Again, is it damaged shipping, right? Who's a shipper? Um, is it something that my team, and again, you're looking at wrong product. Well, that's a, that's a screw up, you know, and then you pull, was the order right? And that's a real complex one. It's the wrong product. Cause guess what? When it comes back in the door, my sales order says I shipped you an apple. My inventory's off. It says I've got more apples than it says because I shipped one, but I sent them a banana and guess what? Now I'm overstated on bananas because I took one out of the door. Well, now when the one comes in, I got a banana. I, I don't, it can't even, where do I put that? It's not even on the original order. So those are examples of customer internal problems but that analytics and guess what you have to measure it and that's why i said you've got to have a dashboard that's going to help you drive that and there's things you can crush the engineering one and again if it's coming from a vendor source a different product and that's what you have to happen can i source an alternate product if i'm having so much problems with one vendor that was chris's point vendor analytics where's what are the problem sources one guy okay is it the, the, the three pl but that's it and that's how you that's how you deal with it that's the experience we've had so so, Christina, it seems like, you know, Chris has made uh, his mind that poor ERP implementation is probably going to be the blame <laughs> uh, for it. Well, well, it depends <laughs> on what the code is. And you're saying, well, we have no data. We have no idea what's wrong with anything. Close the doors. Those companies need to fix this because they must be lucky they can just lose so much money without regard. Most people want to fix this problem. If you start seeing 5% returns or more, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. So why? I don't know. What's the industry standard? Jay, Chris from Ecom, what's percent returns typically? Is 5% a lot? I think that's a lot. Well, so I see it really vary by customer. I yeah. mean, there are some industries industry. where yeah. it's very low and other industries where it's, where it's much higher. I don't know. Chris, what do you see? I would say under 5%, uh, anything above 5% would be scary. So Tragic. Yeah, it's yeah. $5 million on a $100 million company. You're like, oh, we've, we got $5 million in stuff we're managing. And remember, the ins and outs. Yeah. Well, how come I had $3.25 million hit my P&Ls? Wait a minute. Did we lose $3.5 million on returns? You don't want to lose money on returns, folks, right? And right. we didn't even talk about who eats the shipping cost. So there's <laughs> another one that if you're pulling in all the shipping costs, well, that's expense. You certainly don't want to incur those losses because of what mistakes people are making or et cetera. So, yeah, we didn't talk about the complexity of dealer surplus returns, right? So a dealer uh, placed a bunch of orders and you as the manufacturer wanted them to place those orders because maybe your seasonality is coming up and uh, you want them to have product on the shelf. Well, now you have a period of open for surplus returns and a bunch of product is coming back, right? So is there a restocking fee that's associated with that? Uh, you know, th these are decisions. Again, there are so many decisions that have to be made. Um, I can tell you that I've seen warranty own the RMA process <laughs> because they're the most concerned uh, if it's a product problem. So, you know, if uh, a, a larger percentage is because in the warranty period, things broke and then had to be returned and replenished as a result, 
They want warranty to be tracking that, warranty to be working with engineering to understand what modifications do we need to make? Do we need an alternative vendor for this solution because it's overheating all the time? Um, so warranty is a place where I've seen the RMA process owned in my world. Um, customer service can sometimes be hard. It's a place where it starts, but it's not usually where the fault lies. Um, usually the fault lies in customer service only if they gave the customer the wrong part number. And again, buying online and making some of that easier is supposed to facilitate easier identification of the right product so that it's really on the onus of the customer that you, you purchase the right thing for your piece of equipment. Everything else is usually outside of the customer service team. It's in warehousing, it's in shipping, it's in, you know, it's in engineering, it's in purchasing, it's in warranty. So that's why, I, you know, customer service isn't usually where it's owned. Jay, you have a comment, I guess, you and me to yourself. Oh, no, I, I was just going to, uh, I was, I was going to make a comment uh, just in general that, um, that I think, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at this whole RMA process and, and um, returns in general, you know, it can be really across the board with, with different organizations. Um, you know, is it equipment, is it consumables, you know, um, you know, all, all of those things kind of, kind of play, but, um, you know, I, I look, uh, one of the things that in B2B is obviously fundamental is the concept of product fit, right? So, so when you're talking about product fit, you know, that could very easily facilitate, you know, or, or could, uh, could mean a return in the end if, if the customer didn't get the right product for the right application. So then I start looking at, and Crystal uh, alluded to this earlier, you know, I start looking at, you know, do we have the spec sheets and the warranty data and all of all of the information, all of the content that really goes with each of these products. So the customer understood when they bought the product that it didn't it did in fact fit this application or it did not. So um, so I, I think as, as much as we can do in that regard, and I, and I think we just have a long ways to go in general, at least in B2B. Uh, with, with some of this and, 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 you know, an opportunity to hopefully reduce returns uh, over time, the better we get with content and attribution and things like that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. So time for closing advice, Cristiano. So just as a reminder, if you're ma hovering at 5% returns, a lot of companies only manage in the distribution space 6% profitability. So it's really a precarious number to have returns that are so close to what the overall company's profitability is. Again, focus on process. Look at look at the weakness. Make sure the controls are in place to look at the accounting and not to give money away and that you're matching revenues and expenses so that you're protecting your P&L. So could not agree more. Thank you so much for that. Christina, what would be your closing advice, please? Make it easy for your customer. Uh, use this to leverage being easy to do business with. Okay, amazing. Love it. Jay, what is going to be your closing advice? literally just took the words right out of my mouth. Make it easy for the customer. Have something simple. Uh, don't try to overcomplicate what you can do with the RMA process in the e-commerce application because the reality is you can you can try all you like. The, most of the guts are going to be behind the scenes. So. All right. Amazing. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was uh, part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insight tonight. Thanks, group. Talk to you thank again. Bye-bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to genalpha.com. It's G-E-N-E-L-P-H-A.com. If you want to learn more about Jay Schneider, head over to b2b-squared.com. It's b2b-squared.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Phil Kerper, who shares his insights into executing on DTC strategy. Also, the interview with David Chavez, who shares the nuances of outsourced contract manufacturing. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word 
among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.